So today we are starting a brand new series and it's going to be called The Upside Down Kingdom. And I'm going to be using some different tools to help me communicate today. And I got these tools from the Bible Project. And I just want to thank the organization of the Bible Project for really helping illustrate a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today. I know we've got children watching, so it'll help. It'll be a little bit different, but I hope you enjoy it. So God's kingdom was foretold way back in the Old Testament. And you see there is this beautiful poem that is in the book of Isaiah. And the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed by Babylon, this great kingdom from the north. And all these Jewish people have been sent away to exile. But a few remained in the city and they were left to, to just to wonder, has God abandoned us? Because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world and in his kingdom to bring blessing to everyone. It's what he called his kingdom. But Isaiah had been saying that, I, that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of, of the people's own making. That everything had become corrupt and so the temple had been destroyed and everything was lost. But there was a watchman on the city wall and he's looking off afar off and he sees a messenger running toward the city. And he's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountain are the people, are the feet of the, of the people who bring good news. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. And that message is that despite Jerusalem's destruction, God still reigns as king. And God once, one day will return to this city and, and bring peace. And so in this new kingdom, the kingdom of God is what it's called. And so that peace, what they're thinking and what they're imagining is, is that that peace is a peace because of a lack of oppression from other forces. And that that peace is in this physical realm where because of the context within this physical room. And so the, they all sing for joy at this point because of this good news, because God still reigns. Now, in the New Testament, we find the same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's translated gospel. So when the Christians say, do you believe the gospel, what they mean is, do you believe the good news? And not just any good news, it is always, uh, this good news is always about the reign of a new king in a new kingdom. Because that's what Jesus was coming to do, not just to help us in this world with this world's strategies, but it was a new kingdom, and it would be upside down from what anybody knew. So in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase, good news, and the kingdom to summarize all of Jesus's teachings. It says that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. And so the problem is that sometimes we don't understand that the kingdom of God has to be understood by us because that is the kingdom that we as Christians are to operate in. The Bible says that we fight not against flesh and blood in this physical kingdom, but rulers and principalities and the darkness of the spirits in the air. So all of these things that are from a whole nother realm actually. And so Jesus, in order to help explain this, he shows up, he teaches his disciples, he picks them, and they ask him to teach him, teach them how to pray. They see him operating in this kingdom of God, but the issue is that they don't fully understand it like we don't sometimes. They saw miracles and signs and wonders, and John has taught his disciples how to pray, so Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. 
And so in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus gives them just a little glimpse into the kingdom of God or of heaven. And he says, pray like this, Father in heaven. It's specific that he says that the Father is in another kingdom or in another realm. He says, hallowed be your name. So it starts out with worship and prayer and adoration. and, And this is how you pray in the new kingdom. And then he says, your kingdom come, speaking to the Father, your will be done on earth as it is in your kingdom. And so what he's saying is that there is a kingdom, a new kingdom that had been prophesied from times of old that Jesus is saying today is here. And one of the things I want to point out here is that it doesn't ask for God's kingdom to come. It actually tells us to declare your kingdom come, your will be done. It wasn't a request. It was to be a declaration. Jesus tells us that we declare. And and this is part of the rules of of this kingdom that we'll get to in future messages. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is how does this occur? What's the difference between these two kingdoms? I mean, all kingdoms have a king, and we know that the king of this new kingdom is Jesus, but kingdoms, they're also ruled by law. There are specific laws that apply to that kingdom, and so it's important for us to understand and to, in order to grasp all of this. And I think that one of the things that's missing in many of our lives is the misunderstanding or the lack of understanding of the rules of the kingdom that we're born again into. So many times we're trying to apply rules from a physical kingdom into this spiritual kingdom that we're supposed to operate in. And because of that, things don't work sometimes. And so during this series, we're going to get into the very core of this kingdom that we are born again into. I mean, what is our inheritance in that kingdom? What are the rules and the laws of operation within that kingdom? And what is our authority within that kingdom? And what authority do we not have within that kingdom? I honestly believe that sometimes the reason that life happens to us and we can't seem to get a grasp and happen to our life is because we're operating in the wrong kingdom, using the wrong laws, understandings, thought processes. We are using rules from a kingdom that we are no longer a part of. We're a part of the kingdom of God. Now, the best way that I can explain a kingdom or the kingdom of God is to use this illustration. In Jesus' time, the Roman Empire was in its heyday. It was a huge kingdom, and it was getting bigger and bigger. And the Caesars were continually sending out their armies, and they would take new territory within this physical kingdom. And when a new kingdom or new territory came under Roman rule, they would use force to try to make that new territory as much like Rome home as possible. They would build Roman temples, institute uh, Roman religion, which included the worship of Caesar. They would implement um, education, arts, culture, everything that they could do to make this territory just like home. And why did they do that? They did it so that if Caesar would ever leave and come to this territory, he would feel like it was home. And so this is a lot like what the kingdom of God is. It's when everything in heaven is instituted on earth. This is what Jesus was saying in the Lord's Prayer, is that God's government, God's teaching, worship, glory, the power and authority, they are all manifested here on earth just like it is in heaven, so that earth could look just like heaven. That is the idea of the kingdom of heaven. So then the question at this point for me and for you 
is how do we understand this? How do we understand the kingdom rules, the laws? Is there a book? Is there a constitution? Well, the good news is, yes, there actually is. It's called the Bible. Because Jesus spends three and a half years walking his disciples through the kingdom, the rules of the kingdom, the laws of the kingdom, and how the kingdom operates, and it is upside down. They don't understand it. They're confused by it because it is different. The laws of the kingdom of God are totally different than the laws of the kingdom of this earth. And they didn't understand at the time what Jesus was teaching them. But later on, they would, in hindsight, they would come to understand. And then they would write books about it, letters to the church, explaining in detail the law and the rules, the understanding of this new upside-down kingdom where everything was backwards or upside-down from the world that they had lived in. But the foundation for this whole kingdom that, that this is all based upon, if we don't understand this one under, foundational understanding that Jesus exemplified in his very death and resurrection for us and our sins, if we don't understand the foundational law, then everything else that we'll learn falls apart. Your authority of Christ, being, uh, being other-centered, all of uh, making disciples, it all ends up being a bag of tricks. If you don't understand this one foundational law, then we're going to struggle. And there's one place in the Bible where Jesus makes it very, very clear. So it, it had been prophesied for thousands of years that there will be this new kingdom, but nobody knew what they were talking about. And so then this word gets out that this Jewish guy from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel, of a kingdom. I mean, he's assigning 12 disciples, which is an image of the 12 tribes, which to them might have been, you know, been an assault. He's forgiving people of their sins. He's healing people. And all of this, it so threatens Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus he actually lets them do this. And it's, this is important because this is a weird upside down thing to do if you're trying to become king. But for Jesus, he understood that this was the foundation and it had to happen because Jesus sees himself as the messenger bringing the news of this new kingdom, this good news. But the way that he describes God's reign, it is upside down. It turns everything on its head. He says things like a powerful and successful kingdom that needs to be strong and, and the ability to impose its own will and defeat its enemies. Jesus says, but wait a minute, in God's kingdom is that the, the person is the servant. The greatest is the servant, the one that loves and serves the poor. And if you live under God's reign, then you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. It is upside down. And so in Matthew 23, Jesus is talking to the crowds and his disciples are there. And he turns around to them and he says, listen, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they are an authority to you. And then he says this, you have to be careful to do everything they tell you. And I'm sure at that point, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, see, Jesus is usually dogging them, and they're usually listening, trying to find a way to trick him. And now Jesus says, you should do everything that they tell you. And I'm sure that at that point, they put their fingers in their lapels, and they thought, yep, we've won. They, they swelled up their chest, and, and so finally, Jesus is coming around. He's understanding our value to the people. But, 
And if I was Jesus, I would have paused there and just let them swell up their chest at that point and bust their bubble because this is what he does. He says, but don't do what they do. Do what they tell you, but don't do what they do. It was an insult because they don't practice what they preach. You see, in the kingdom that they lived in, it was about whoever was an authority, whoever was the person in power that lorded uh, their rulership other other people. Those were the valuable people. They were the greatest. And they didn't have to do what they told other people to do. They were above that. It was hypocrisy. They would tell the people all these things that they had to do in order to be right, but they would not actually help them. In fact, it says Jesus says that they would put rules and laws on them that actually would hold them down so they couldn't reach this status and this value of the, of the Pharisees. See, it was there were written scripture, people understood that, they had it for generations. But these heavy loads that Jesus were talking about, that, that they would put on their shoulders, it was talking about the rabbinic oral tradition. See, the Pharisees would actually make up things and change this oral law. The original intent was to make the Old Testament relevant to life situations at that point in the, in the first century because culture had changed so much. But these interpretations and these applications and solutions to problems that they would create that were supposed to help the common people un- interpret the Torah, their Bible, but actually they began to use these things to gain control over the people. And so all these oral obligations became way more burdensome than the scriptures itself. And it got to the point that the rabbis, after years and years of additions and more and more rules added to it, they couldn't actually lessen the burden without dismantling the entire thing altogether. And what this would mean is that they would lose power. And so this is the conflict that Jesus is having with the Pharisees because they are so committed to their broken system that they missed the entire move of God among them when Jesus shows up. So when the kingdom of God shows up, this new kingdom that's so backwards and upside down, so different from what the religious leaders had built, they totally missed it. But the people, the people seemed to get it. And so Jesus goes on in verse five and he says, everything that they do is done specifically for people to see them. See, this is the law of the world that we live in now as well. And so he said that they made their phylacteries. Now, a phylactrophy was something that they still, it's something that they still use today. And there were these boxes that contained scripture verses that were written out and they would put it in these boxes and they would wear it on their forehead as well as on their arms. And they would make sure that they were wide and they were big so everybody could see how religious they were and how smart they were. And then they had these tassels on their garments that Jesus said became really long. See, they would wear these tassels on the four corners of their garments, and it was supposed to remind people to obey God's command. In fact, there are scriptures that say that even Jesus wore these tassels on his garments as well. So it wasn't uncommon for rabbis and and spiritual leaders to do. But these pious spiritual leaders, they would make these tassels bigger and longer to display how religious and reverent that they were. It was just another way uh, to, for, of their pride to be shown. And so Jesus says, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by other people. And so all the trappings, all the pomp, all the circumstance in this physical kingdom 
And see, like for us, it would be how nice a car you live in, the house you're in, the, the clothes you wear, the money you make, the boat you buy, how educated you are or you sound, how many people give you accolades and affirm you, how many likes or comments that you get uh, or hearts that you get in on social media. See, they loved all of these things in this natural kingdom. And Jesus brings them down in this new kingdom. And he even tells them all these affirming things that you want people to do for you and to recognize you. He says, don't let people call you rabbi. You only got one teacher. You're all brothers. Don't let anybody call you father because you only got one father. Don't let anybody call you instructor. You only have one instructor, the Messiah. And he's actually secretly referring to himself there. But the thing is, is that it's not that it's bad to call somebody father or pastor or anything like that. But what he's doing is he is verbally pitting these things against each other. He's turning everything upside down to help them understand this new kingdom that's not about your title, your position, your status. It's about servanthood. See, it's upside down. And then he sums the whole thing up with the rule and the law of the kingdom that is foundational for us to understand anything else in the kingdom. And that is the rule and the law of servanthood. In verse 11, he says that the greatest among you will be the servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's upside down. That is totally upside down to the world that we live in and that they lived in. And so in this kingdom of God that Jesus is doing his best to explain to the disciples, he says that they must place servant leadership as the highest priority. That greatness in the community of the, of the kingdom of God is much different than that displayed by the leadership of the worldly kingdom that they were in and that we're in. That's why we call pastors shepherds, because we're servants. It's servant leadership. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they had patterned their leadership after the example of the worldly leaders that were around them. The world had crept into their leadership that was supposed to be serving the people. And so what they were trying to do was to extend their power and authority within their sphere of influence. And Jesus offers a whole different model with the kingdom of God, and that is of the servant. So how is God going to bring his reign, the kingdom of God, over this world? See, Jesus believed for himself it would be an act of sacrificial love for his enemies, servanthood. That's why in the gospel, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement, as the king of this kingdom, the king of the Jews. He receives a crown and a robe. He is exalted up, but not to a throne, but onto a cross. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And the good news now, is that Jesus defeated death and he reigned as king and he dealt with our sin and corruption within himself and he, and he conquered it with his life, his servanthood, and his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to continue to announce the good news of this upside down kingdom and invite everybody to follow him, the king who defeated death with his love, his servanthood, in this upside down kingdom. And unless we understand this kingdom, we are always going to struggle to overcome and to succeed in the world, this physical world that we live in, if we do not understand the rules of the kingdom of God. So throughout this series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin to unpack what is the kingdom of God. 
What are the rules? What, are, what is their authority? And all that is for one reason. That is so that we can have the freedom, the understanding, the power, and the authority to not only be his true disciples, but also to do what he did, to share his love with the world and mentor others in the faith. But we gotta understand the rules of the kingdom or we can't mentor others in it. So this is not for knowledge only, or just so you can have authority in your life, although those things will happen. But understand that all of this is so that you can in turn mentor people in the faith, because that, my friends, is the whole purpose. It's what we were born again to do. And my life will be empty and void, and your life will be empty and void if we do not understand and use the rules of the kingdom in order to share his life and his love and individually mentor others in the faith.